Throughout history, ships have had to battle waves, facing the risk of going past their tipping point and capsizing. Whether you're going on a family cruise, participating in a sailing competition, or serving on a military vessel, when you're out on open waters, you want to make sure somebody is working to make it as safe as possible. Here at Texas A&M, we have you covered. This is Soundbites. Welcome to Engineer This. Naval architect and professor in the Department of Ocean Engineering, Dr. Jeffrey Falzerano, has worked on a variety of projects over the years to better understand the factors that can impact ships on the water and develop technologies to reduce tipping. His current research is twofold, developing wave energy devices and researching how ships maneuver differently on waves from shallow to deep water. I'm Steve Kuhlman, and my co-host Hannah Conrad and I are joined by Dr. Falzerano to discuss how his research over the years has impacted naval architecture. It's been an issue uh, for fishermen throughout history, but uh, it, it, it's come to the attention of researchers probably over the last 50 years. How common is it that they rock, they tip? Well, it's extremely rare. And luckily so, it's extremely rare, but it's, it's, it's more common than it should be, especially for smaller vessels. The TV show, uh, The Deadliest Catch, kind of uh, underlines that, about the, <laughs> the danger that uh, you know, fishermen in, uh, in, in Alaskan waters face with, uh, with this, uh, this happening. What is it that makes it a challenging problem to try and solve? Well, the problem becomes the waves, the wind, possibility the vessel may have ice formed on it and and predicting the occurrence of of large waves and then and then predicting the response of vessels to these hypothetical large waves so in the research that you're working on right now how are you and your team working to address this tipping problem well i have uh, two top phd students and uh, one is working on um the tipping or the capsizing of a wave uh, energy device. And, and essentially, a wave energy device, you want the thing to move as much as possible in order to extract wave energy, but you don't want it to move so much that it breaks. And so uh, my uh, senior PhD student is looking at that, applying a lot of the methodologies that we uh, developed for ships uh, to this uh, wave energy device. And uh, then I have another student, and we're looking at... Um, ship maneuvering in waves and so maneuvering is turning you know we we all drive our cars every day and you know we have a very uh, good response from our automobiles but uh, ship maneuvering is very different and uh, ship maneuvering is is typically studied with no waves and 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 deep water but uh, when 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 ships get into harbors lots of interactions occur because of the uh, the shallow water the restricted water but then when ships are out in the ocean they behave very differently because of the maneuvering in waves. Um, and this has become, it's, it's, it's a big issue for the uh, Navy, obviously, because the Navy has to operate at all, you know, all different environments. But it's also an issue for the uh, merchant vessels. And the reason it's an important issue for the merchant vessels is because the maritime industry, understanding its, you know, its, uh, its uh, contribution to uh, global warming, has uh, come up with uh, various uh, benchmarks in order to make ships more efficient. It's called the uh, Energy Efficiency Design Index, and it's something that the International Maritime Organization, which is part of the United Nations, has put forth, and the United States is a signatory to that treaty. So 
all ships have to satisfy these uh, these uh, efficiency criteria. Now, one way to make a ship more efficient is to put a smaller engine in it. Well, if you put too small of an engine in a ship, it may have difficulty maneuvering when there's a storm. And so that's the maneuvering in waves. And so that's something that my, uh, my number two uh, PhD student and I are looking at right now. And we hope to get support from the, the Navy to look at this problem because he's done some very interesting things. And again, we're we're putting, uh, you know, put, putting our, our previous experience to, to apply to this problem. Kind of taking a step back and then diving right back in. <laughs> ocean puns, got one in. <laughs> what made you interested in ocean engineering? And then what made you interested in um, the tipping point of ships? Well, I'm actually a professor of ocean engineering, but I'm actually a naval architect, which means an engineer that uh, designed ships. And uh, I, I became interested in, in vessel capsizing, actually, when I was designing ships between my, uh, my undergraduate and my graduate work. And uh, there was an awful lot of research going on in the United Kingdom at that time, a project called the Safe Ship Project. And uh, I was reading pretty extensively about this, and I kind of decided that I was going to go back to school, back to graduate school, and hopefully be given the opportunity to study this problem. So that's when it all started with me. Was that something that you always wanted to do, design ships? Because, I mean, that's something that I can think of as a kid that would have been like a dream job for me. I I, I don't know how far back it was, at least uh, as far back as when I was in the first grade. I wanted to be, uh, I saw the my my father and my older brother were both engineers, mechanical engineers. Mm -hmm. But uh, I I think uh, at at least as far back as the first grade, I saw these uh, large vessels and uh, thought, gee, it would be interesting to uh, actually design those. And and so that was my my dream. And uh, like I said, I I studied it as an undergraduate and I practiced it in in a series of internships, but then also uh, between my undergraduate and graduate. But then while I was doing that, I, I got interested in this uh, this issue of vessel capsizing, and uh, it all evolved from that. Among the projects that you've worked on uh, since getting into this field, what have been some of the, the more prominent ones that you've gotten a chance to participate in? Well, I've been very lucky, uh, both, uh, you know, as an as a intern, as a student, whatever, uh, and then as a as a faculty member to work on a, a number of uh, high profile projects. Maybe the earliest would be this um, so called Modu uh, stability project that the American Bureau of Shipping uh, was uh, performing in the mid 1980s, and uh, it, it was kind of unique because it was the it was going to be the, one of the first efforts to uh, come up with. Uh, what is called a response-based uh, stability criteria for these large column-stabilized mobile offshore drilling units. Since then, I've worked on a, a number of projects, uh, mostly for the Office of Naval Research, but for other entities, including um, Chevron. We did a small project on roll damping, and we've done uh, many other projects since then. Uh, a recent project, we did some uh, studies for the uh, Office of Naval Research environmental ship motion forecasting. This is a very interesting program that the Office of Naval Research uh, recently uh, undertook. And this uh, project, uh, essentially what it does is it uh, predicts the motions of a ship 
in the future based upon observing the, the wave environment half a mile away from the ship and understanding how those waves might propagate toward the ship and then predicting the motion. It was a very uh, large project, and only at the very end of it did we get an opportunity to participate in it. And the reason being is the roll motion, the large amplitude roll motion, our expertise, uh, they were having a really hard time predicting that, and, and we got involved in that, and we uh, significantly improved their prediction of that. So when you say uh, predict the motion, does that mean uh, like when it's out there in the water, how it responds to waves, the elements, that kind of thing? Yes, sir. Yes, the, the, the dynamic response of the vessel. But the, the big problem is understanding that the waves in the ocean are completely random and uh, predicting what random waves the vessel may encounter over its lifetime is a, is a challenging problem. And then once you predict the waves, you need to predict the vessel's response. And that is an even bigger challenge. I'd imagine so. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the really interesting things about naval architecture and ocean engineering is that it really does connect the world. Um, You mentioned shipping and oil rigs and a few other examples. What's it like to be working in such an international field? Well, it is. It's very international. International trade, globalization. I mean, almost everything we have in front of us came from somewhere and probably traveled many, many places before it got to us. And so there are you know, tens of thousands of large merchant ships that are plying the ocean at this very moment. And uh, most of them are safe and most of it is uneventful, but uh, sometimes they, they encounter uh, situations that uh, are more, uh, more interesting than they would like. And, uh, and so that, that's what we try to, um, you know, make it, make it as safe as possible for those, uh, those people out there. Um, the first uh, project I actually had an opportunity to uh, work on as a uh, assistant professor back in 1990s, early 1990s, was looking at this uh, small uh, 212-foot-long uh, vessel uh, called the Tiegos. And uh, this, this vessel, this class of vessel, had the uh, responsibility of towing a one-mile-long uh, cable uh, between uh, Greenland, Iceland, and the United Kingdom. Very small vessel had to uh, tow this uh, hydrophone cable uh, over uh, long distances, and uh, and the crew on that on that vessel, you know, in many uh, cases, feared for their lives. And so I was asked to to study this problem. That was the first project I had an opportunity to study. Eventually, this small. 212 foot long vessel these were retired and actually our Galveston campus operates one of these vessels which no longer does that job <laughs> and that job is done by a, a, a vessel called a small water plane area twin hall a swath vessel which again uh, coincidentally enough it was the vessel that I spent uh, two years uh, uh, participating in the design when I, between my bachelor's and graduate work so oh, wow. oh that's awesome so it's kind of everything's related, I guess. Howdy, it's your producer, Jen Riley, here with a quick note. So the Department of Ocean Engineering actually offers a specialization in naval architecture at both its College Station and Galveston campuses. And just to show how important naval architecture can be to global trade, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, around 90% of traded goods are carried via the ocean. 
So Dr. Falzerano's work in making sure that these ships and their crews are safe on the ocean is definitely very important to basically the entire globe. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Let's get back into the interview. You know, that's something that I think is easy to forget when we're talking about uh, this, especially for general audiences that don't really think about this too often, that uh, for a ship, it's scary enough to think about being on a boat that's going to tip over. But the idea that so many of these people that are operating these vessels are miles away from any land, they are out on their own. Uh, This is just such a critical area uh, to try and solve this issue. Well, another project I I worked on was uh, one of the cruise vessels. And so that's how maybe one of us would uh, encounter a vessel going on a cruise. And this was, uh, I guess it was the Crown Princess. And she was just leaving uh, Miami. And uh, the the captain was traveling much too fast in in very shallow water. And uh, and the automatic control system behaved in a spurious manner such that there was a large roll angle and many people were injured, but uh, I was asked by the uh, then uh, director of the National Transportation Safety Board's uh, Marine Division, uh, uh, who is incidentally a mentor of mine, uh, uh, to, to help look into this problem. And I worked with an uh, aerospace engineer, also at the National Transportation Safety Board, who had been studying aviation accidents. And what we did is we managed to uh, use the methodology that he had developed for airplanes on this vessel, but uh, we also wrote a uh, paper about that, and uh, the paper won an award, uh, the best paper at our uh, Naval Architects uh, annual conference. So that that was a interesting uh, case that we, we looked at, and I've since worked on several of these uh, accident investigations. Previously, these accident investigations had been the motivation for my research in this area, but then I had uh, been given the opportunity to look at these. And, and so that that's something you also learn from when there are accidents, how to then avoid those accidents in the future. What's it like being a mentor and being able to see your students making impacts in such a wide-reaching area? Well, uh, I've been in this business now for 30 years as a uh, tenure, tenure track professor. And, and while I was a graduate student, I actually had an opportunity to teach a class, so more than 30 years. And I've really been blessed with some really good students, especially uh, since uh, 2007 when I came to Texas A&M, but even before that. And uh, these students have done amazing things, and we've worked on very interesting projects together. We continually learn when we do our research. uh, So we we don't just teach what's in the textbooks, but we learn new things, and we apply new things and put things together. So... It's uh, it's really uh, it's really very satisfying. I mean, uh, I, you know, I keep in contact with many of the students I've had, but obviously not all the students I've had over thirty <laughs> years. And uh, I mean, I'm very proud of their their success. I mean, their success is my success. I think when you're explaining this research to someone who maybe you've just met, what is it that excites you most about it? I think the fact that it it is important. I mean, if, if you go out on a ship, as on a cruise ship or a small uh, you know, high-speed boat or something like that, you would like to have some assurance that somebody has understood its response in large waves. And uh, again, I, I 
recently, last two years, I had an opportunity to participate in a National Academy of Science Transportation Research Board uh, study about uh, ship stability regulations. Uh, and this study was uh, mandated uh, that the, uh, by the Congress to the Coast Guard that they form a committee to, uh, to update and review the Coast Guard stability regulations. We, we published uh, two reports. And uh, essentially, what, we ch- what, what I tried to do in, in my uh, participating in this, uh, in this uh, committee was to put forth the fact that we understand a lot, but there are still many things that we don't understand. And uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't become complacent that this field is, a, a, it's called a mature technology sometimes because there are so many other exciting things that are, are going on, but it, there's still a lot of things we don't understand. And also, you know, the, the U.S. expertise in this area, we, we'd like to make sure that the U.S. You know, remains active and, and a leader in this field. You talked about your experience outside of A&M and then coming to A&M. The ocean engineering department at A&M is a little different than most. There's two campuses that kind of work together. If you could define the department in one word, what would it be and why does it stand out to you? I I think you kind of uh, hit the target. I mean, it's very unique. We have have a, a very small department, much smaller than the larger departments in the College of Engineering. And not only are we that small, but we're split between two campuses. And so, you know, that puts, you know, tremendous pressure on the college, the university to support us, but also tremendous pressure on us because we have a small number of faculty. They're separated by two campuses, but there's so many opportunities. I mean, we have the flagship campus in College Station where we have the, you know, Offshore Technology Research Center. We have all the other departments and that we could collaborate with and talk with. But then we have the Galveston campus, which is a smaller group, but there's opportunities there. I, 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 I mentioned the fact that my first uh, funded research project as an assistant professor was to study the large amplitude dynamic response of this Navy Tiegos vessel. Well, it turns out we actually have one of those vessels in Galveston. And uh, I actually have a physical model of this vessel that a student built for me sitting uh, sitting at my old university. And, and I, I think my point is we have many challenges uh, split between two departments, but we have many opportunities. And I hope that we'll be able to take advantage of some of those opportunities in the future. Looking towards the future, where's your research headed next? Mostly what I have uh, done was uh, studied, uh, you know, vessel uh, capsizing, uh, small vessels, large vessels, etc., but we have done some work uh, looking at uh, wind uh, turbine dynamic responses. It turns out that uh, if you have a floating wind turbine and you use the same controller you use on that wind turbine as you would use on a land-based controller, you could get yourself in big trouble. The, uh, the uh, platform can, could start uh, uh, moving uh, very, very large amplitude and essentially destroy itself. And so we've looked at that problem. Like I said previously, we were looking at wave energy devices, but we're also uh, looking at uh, ship turning and the, uh, the interaction of ship turning and ship, uh, ship capsizing. And then, like I said, with regards to merchant ships, with regards to Navy ships, 
And so we're available to study these problems. And like I said, we've, we've had really, really excellent uh, students come through this uh, program and, and hopefully we'll continue to get really excellent students to work with and to research these uh, problems. Several of my PhD, recent PhD students are professors in different universities uh, in the U.S., in India, and in China. And so uh, we'll hopefully be able to uh, continue to talk to each other, maybe collaborate together on projects. So there's a bright future. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Engineering Soundbites. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with what's happening within Texas A&M Engineering. Until next time, sail safe and gig'em. Thanks for listening to the Texas A&M Engineering Soundbites podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Texas A&M University system. Soundbites is a part of the Texas A&M Podcast Network. To find more official Texas A&M podcasts, go to podcast.tamu.edu. Thanks and gig'em.